Hello, everybody. Um, I have several announcements that I need to make, and so I want to make sure I jump right into that before we dive into our text. Uh, while I'm doing that, I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to John chapter 10, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 uh, this morning. So uh, now that the, the weather is getting cold, we have several things starting up next week, the first Sunday in October. Uh, first off, we are going to have communion together, uh, and we're going to continue to have communion the first Sunday of the month uh, from now on, uh, assuming things don't uh, drastically change. And so I uh, want to make sure you're aware of that, you pray about that, and you come prepared for that on Sunday. Uh, also want to uh, let you know that we're making some changes. So we have been meeting outside whenever the weather is nice, um, but now that the weather is starting to churn and now that we're in October and we could either have 75 degrees or it could be snowing and we have no idea, we're moving all of our services inside. Uh, but we are going to have two services starting next week. The first service will be at 9.15 and that service is a mask mandatory service. Everyone has to wear a mask and keep social distancing. So we're asking everybody outside of your family unit to sit at least three chairs apart when you're in the worship center. And uh, we're going to ask people not to congregate inside of the church. Um, and so that's that's what we're going to be doing. And so if you have um, if you have health concerns, if you're uh, in a job where you have to be really careful about making sure that you protect yourself, if you're very uncomfortable about getting uh, the virus, uh, this is a service for you. And we invite you to come at 915 and, and, and protect yourself and protect others. So that's our first service at 915. Our second service is at 1030, our regular time, and that's a mask optional service. So if you don't worry about these things, you don't have concerns about these things, then we invite you to come. We encourage you to wear a mask, but you don't have to. Uh, we still are asking people to remain socially distant. So we're still telling people you need to sit three chairs apart or more uh, outside of your family unit. Um, but you just don't have to wear masks. Um, so we're still asking you, you know, don't hug or shake hands. Uh, keep social distancing. But uh, it's mask optional. And so if you have health issues where you can't wear a mask because of asthma or, or whatever reason, uh, then we invite you to come to the 1030 service. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, if you just have personal issues with the mask, uh, again, we invite you to come. And because we're having these two services and trying to meet everyone's uh, needs as well as desires, uh, we're also going to stop making these videos on Sunday mornings. So uh, we are still going to be, what we're going to do is we're going to record uh, the audio of the first service, the first sermon uh, from 915, and then that will be online for you to listen to uh, by about 1030, our regular service time. Uh, both services are going to be identical, so you're still going to uh, you're still going to get the message every week uh, put onto the website, but it'll just be the audio; it won't have video. Uh, if you have serious concerns about this for whatever reason, please contact me or any of the deacons. Uh, but that's just something we're stepping away from, uh, hoping to 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 get more people to come on back to the church. So if you have concerns, please connect with me or any one of the deacons. We'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, now, those are the, the big announcements that I needed to make, um, and so we need to dive into our text this morning, which is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And um, what I'd like to do is, is I'd like us just to, just to start with prayer. Um, so I want to encourage you to pray with me. 
Father God, I thank you for being good and faithful. Uh, I thank you that your word is something we can rely upon and we can trust in. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, comfort those who are hurting and who are isolated. I, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, draw the church back together, that you would protect our health, but that you would also give us wisdom to seek to obey you as you command the church to consistently gather together. And that if we can, that we would do that. And I pray, Lord, that you be with those who are, who are sick, uh, who, who are feeling isolated. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would meet their needs, that you would heal them. For those who are in financial straits, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them to reach out to the church um, and, and that the church would be able to help with a benevolent account. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would also meet the needs of the church. And God, I ask that you would help us as Christians to, to do a better job in standing as a light to our community. Our, our country seems so divided over, over race, racial issues, uh, over over. Uh, issues of uh, men and women and identity and uh, politics and, and so many different things. And we've turned anybody who disagrees with us into an enemy instead of just someone who has a different idea. God, I pray that you would help us to highlight Christian charity in the way that we live. That anything uh, really outside of the gospel and its implications, Lord, that we would be people who love well. Uh, give us grace and give us unity as a church as we seek to do that. I thank you for being with us and pray, Lord, that you would be encouraged or that we would be encouraged and you would be glorified as we look into your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want to remind you that over the last three weeks, we've been looking at John chapter 9. And in John chapter 9, we have this beautiful account and this long narrative account of this man who was born blind. In the first 12 verses, we have this man who was born blind. Jesus comes across him, and Jesus heals him in a miraculous way. So this man is now able to see. Then we learn in verses 13 through 34, this, this interesting account where we, we find out Jesus healed them on the Sabbath, which made the Pharisees really angry because that broke their Sabbath laws. And so they can't say, yay, Jesus did a good thing if Jesus broke their rules to do it. So, so you have this, this tension that they're in. And so they have to try to disqualify Jesus and eliminate this miracle or discredit this miracle. So they have this little trial and they go after this man. And then in the end, last week, we looked at verse 35 through 41. And we noted that, that Jesus found this man and saved this man. But then Jesus began with this kind of criticism of the Pharisees and the way in which they were doing things and, and, and accused them of being blind. And that's kind of the, the summary that leads into this. And so both their Jesus criticizing them as well as the wickedness with which they acted in chapter 9 is what is bringing about chapter 10. And we have to hold that in our mind as we go through this. And there's really three things that I want you to kind of just hold in your mind as we walk through this. Three things that are, that are told to us that I'm not going to necessarily specify, but that I want you to keep and file in these three categories the things that you learn. The first is who Jesus is. Because chapter 10 verses 1 through 10 tell us a lot about who Jesus is. Second who we should be, and third, who we're full of it, right? Who Jesus is, who we should be, and who we're full of it. 
We're going to learn and, and place the information that we're, got, that we're getting here in those three categories. And so I want you to do that as we walk through this, uh, this text together. So I, I want to begin, and I, and I just want to start reading verses 1 through 6, and, and we'll begin there. It says, very truly, Jesus is speaking, he says, Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So here's the first section that we're going to look at. And again, keep those three categories in your mind. Who Jesus is, who we should be, and who's full of it. All right? Look at verse 10. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now the religious leaders of Israel were called to care for the people, to to watch out for them, to serve them, and to teach them. This is the call of the rabbis and the Pharisees. But instead, these false shepherds were leading the people away from God, the source of joy and of peace. They were only serving and feeding themselves as as Isaiah and Ezekiel emphasized and criticized the leaders of Israel for back then. Now, for us to understand what Jesus is, is, is saying here, we need to understand the culture of shepherding in the first century. The life and culture of shepherds was something that was familiar to everyone, and so it's not uncommon for Jesus to use it as an illustration. Now, at this time, in the first century, there were two ways of watching sheep during the night. Or to be more specific, there were two types of sheepfolds or pens, which was where the sheep would spend the night. The first, if, if, if a shepherd was living in the country, the sheep pen was a low-walled pen made with bricks or stones and with one small opening in it. Now, if the shepherds were in or near a town, Several shepherds would gather together, pool their money, and build a larger enclosure, what was often referred to as a communal corral, with higher walls, a roof, and again, one small opening. Now, in the evening, all the local shepherds would, if in in or near a city, would bring their sheep in, and all the sheep would stay the night together, protected by the sheep gatekeeper. And this was a, uh, a, a, a paid position that, again, the shepherds would pool their money to pay someone to watch the sheep at night. And it was this communal image that Jesus is referencing here, at least through, verse, well, through this whole text. And so we need to hold that in, in our mind. The text says, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, the sheep pen only had one opening. And the gatekeeper would would sleep laying down in front of the gate or the open space. And so the only way that an enemy could could go into it and, and attack or take out the sheep was either to deal with the gatekeeper or climb over the wall and find another way. 
This is what Jesus is stressing here. That those who enter the pen by another way, um, instead of through the door and through the gatekeeper, are just thieves and robbers. For, the, for only those who own the sheep would be allowed to enter through the gate. The word translated as thief means to steal. And the word translated as robber means to take using violence. So, so we're not just talking about someone who kind of casually takes something. We're talking about people who are willing to steal what's not theirs, but also that they're willing to be violent to do it. Those who got to the sheep through deceptive methods did so not out of love for the sheep, but only for selfish motives. They were willing to use physical and spiritual violence to get what they wanted. It wasn't about the sheep, it was about them. The account of the man born blind in chapter 9 gives us a great example of how the Pharisees did this. They didn't care about this lost sheep. They didn't care about leading him to God or helping him or encouraging him or praising God for his sight. All they cared about was themselves. Jesus is calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers here. Because instead of going to the sheep through God's means and for God's purposes, they are selfishly trying to use the sheep for their own selfish purposes. Now let's look at, and, and I'm already behind on my, on my slides, but now let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, unlike the Pharisees, Jesus comes to the sheep through the gate. The gate here is a picture of God's word and God's prophets, which would include John the Baptist, who was God's messenger, as we saw in chapter 1, to point the way to the Messiah. That God used John the Baptist to prepare the people's hearts for Jesus and to identify Jesus for the people. Jesus is the one who does the will of God the Father, the one who fulfills God's word and does God's work in God's ways. This points to Jesus's authority to be the Messiah and the true shepherd of the sheep, the true owner of the sheep. Of course, the gatekeeper opens the gate for Jesus. He is the one who pays the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper knows who owns the sheep. And not only does the gatekeeper know this, but the sheep also know it. They know who the shepherd really is. And they listen to his voice. Now, there are many stories of, of tourists going to Israel and Jerusalem in particular and paying shepherds to borrow their clothes, to get their smell and to get their look in an attempt to try to trick the sheep to follow them instead of the shepherds. But it never works. Although sheep are generally stupid, they know and follow the voice of their shepherd. One Hebrew teacher a few years ago told how amazed he was while in Jerusalem that shepherds would be able to walk right through the city with all their sheep following them. I mean, there were cars, car horns, lights, buses, lots of people talking and walking between them. And yet the sheep would follow the shepherd. And if they ever turned to the side, one word from the shepherd would bring them back to attention. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd and they trust it. See, friends, by the power of the Spirit, as we study the word of God, the voice of Jesus, our shepherd, should be easier for us to hear and understand. 
We are to listen to his voice and only follow him. But if we do not read and trust in his word, then our sensitivity and our discernment of truth will grow, will not grow as it should, and will often grow cold. And we will be more easily deceived, more easily led into lies, and more easily led into sin. Then Jesus says that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name. Now, although raising sheep for the purpose of sacrifices was practiced in Israel, the vast majority of shepherds in Israel raised sheep for wool. This would mean that they had these sheep for years and they got to know them and would often name them based upon their characteristics. Common names that we've seen in many uh, ancient texts, names like black ear, fluffy, long nose, stubborn, foolish, and noisy, are all names that we know of shepherds using to refer to their sheep, to particular sheep. And the, the point that I want you to see here is, is how Jesus knows his sheep, not as a whole, but as individual sheep. He saves individual sheep sheep. He knows individual sheep. He knows our tendencies. He knows our idiosyncrasies. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our strengths. And he calls us by name because of his intimate relationship with us. And then finally, in verse 3, the true shepherd leads his sheep out. A true shepherd doesn't drive his sheep from behind. He leads his sheep out front. He goes before them. He gets to the, to the field before them and he, and he pulls the poison weeds out of the field before the sheep can eat. He walks in the dangerous places before the sheep go through. He goes before them as their protector and as their provider. Then look at verses 4 and 5. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Notice two things here. First, the shepherd only brings out his own sheep. He knows them, and they know him. And second, notice again that the shepherd leads the way. Now, the term leader or leadership is derived from this picture of shepherding. Someone who doesn't drive people from behind from a position of safety, but one who leads out front. One who walks before those that they are leading. We often think of dogs uh, driving sheep, but this was not the practice in Israel. Sheep were not driven. They were led by their shepherd and they followed their shepherd because they knew him. They trusted him, and his voice was something that brought them comfort and security. Thus, they would never follow anyone else. In fact, they would protect themselves in the only way that they could, that a sheep possibly can, which is to run away from anyone else who tried to lead them who wasn't their shepherd. Let me ask you, do you have a discerning ear and an obedient heart to follow only Jesus? Do you flee from voices of those who try to lead you who are not speaking for Jesus, even if they're entertaining, even if they're well-liked, even if they're popular, even if other people recommend them? 
Do you watch what you listen to? Who you listen to? What you watch? Who you will watch? What voices you let inform your mind and your heart? For true, the true sheep of Jesus, they listen to his voice and fear following anyone else. A true sheep of Jesus grows in their discernment of the truth and in their desire for obedience in all things. Are you living like a true sheep of Jesus? We'll continue on. Look at verse 6. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, it's often those who boast in their knowledge who are the most ignorant of the true things of God. The Pharisees knew the most about God, but they didn't know God, and thus didn't recognize Jesus as God's Son. Although they understood the picture that Jesus was presenting to them, they didn't understand the condemnation that Jesus was declaring over them. They were too blind by their own sinful pride to see themselves as thieves and robbers. But Jesus didn't give up. He continued in verses 7 through 10. And let me just read that whole section to you. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. <clears throat> As Jesus continues, look at verse 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Now before, Jesus pictured himself as the true shepherd of the sheep. But now, using the same illustration of this communal corral, Jesus emphasizes a different point. He says that I am the gate for the sheep. He is saying that he is both the protector and the provider for his sheep. He is the one who keeps the wolves away from his sheep. And he is the one who only lets his sheep into the place of peace and rest. He is guarding so that no one goes in who shouldn't. And so that only those who go through him go in. Look at verses 8 and 9. <coughs> Excuse me. All who, who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have, sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. When Jesus says, all who have come before me, he's, he's looking directly at the Pharisees. They are trying to be the entryway into God's protection by proclaiming a works righteousness. If you follow our laws and do our things and act and live the way that we tell you to, then God will show you favor. They're trying to play Jesus' role. Yet in reality, Jesus is emphasizing to them they're just robbers and thieves. They're just using the sheep to, to protect and provide for themselves. As we saw in chapter 9 with the man born blind. They didn't care about him. They didn't care about the truth. They cared about themselves. Now those who have come before him are also all of the false messiahs who have claimed to be God's chosen one. All the false prophets and all the false teachers who have tried to deceive the sheep. 
but the sheep of God have not listened to them. And let me just make a quick point about this. It's not that no one listened to them. It's that God knows his sheep. And his sheep have not listened to them. His sheep, by his own grace that he's given them, have seen them as false shepherds, false teachers, false prophets, and turned away from them. The sheep of God have not listened to them. They have waited for God's means, for God to provide a doorway for them to enter into his rest. And all who enter through Jesus, all who come to the Father through Jesus are saved. They are freed from guilt, shame, and the punishment of their sin. They are saved from loneliness, fear, and judgment. They have been brought from death to life, from enemies of God to children of God. Notice again that there is no other way to enter but through Jesus. There is no other way of salvation, no other way of being saved but to enter through Jesus. And if you have trusted in him, the one who went before you and died in your place so that you could have and enjoy his life, then you will be able to come in and go out and find pasture. For Jesus is not just a protector, but he's also a provider. He saves us from our greatest enemies, sin and death, but he also provides us with himself, with God the Father, with eternity with him, and with more and more and more as we grow in him, as we trust in him, and as we walk behind him in faith. Let's finish our text and look at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now we often think of this text and it's often used in reference to talk about what Satan does versus what Jesus does. And these things are true of Satan. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But in context, we know that this verse is talking about Jesus or, sorry, Jesus is using this verse to talk about the Pharisees and all other false shepherds. They come at Satan's direction only to steal and kill and destroy. They come to use the sheep, not to serve the sheep. They come to kill the sheep, not to save the sheep. They come to destroy the sheep, not to restore the sheep. This is true of all those who lead the people of God astray, no matter what motive they may claim. It doesn't matter if it's the Pharisees or pastors or leaders or parents or authors or politicians or activists. It doesn't matter. Anyone who tries to lead the sheep of God away from Jesus by means that God has condemned are nothing but thieves who come only to steal and kill and destroy. And thus, they must be condemned and feared. The church must take this seriously. Oftentimes when, when, when pastors get up and they, and they condemn someone, someone who's a false teacher and saying false things, many people will criticize that and say, that's not loving. You need to love them into the kingdom and you need to, you need to be more kind with them. And just because they say some things wrong, they say a lot of things that are right. And so don't worry about it. Well, we need to 
take this a lot more seriously than I think we often do. False doctrine and false teachers have to be dealt with, for they can only lead the sheep toward destruction. We are to love them, that's true. And we love them by praying for them and by sharing the gospel with them. But we also love the sheep and them by condemning any false teaching or false teacher. If Jesus spoke this way about them, shouldn't we? Jesus came so that we may have life in him. And anyone whose message goes contrary to that must be condemned blatantly and forwardly. For Jesus has more for us than that. Jesus has more for us than half-truths. And the life that he gives is more than we deserve or could ever hope to receive. The Greek word translated to the full, meaning he, he came, or I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, means it is life that goes beyond the necessity. That's what the Greek word means, to the full. Beyond the necessity. Jesus is saying that he doesn't just give us something a little bit better than what we already have. No, he saves us to give us the best to give life in himself, with the Father, through the Spirit, life beyond our wildest dreams. We need to remember that Jesus goes before the sheep into the valley of death and faces Satan's schemes and God's just judgment for our sins so that we won't have to and so that we could have and enjoy the fullness of his own life. He prepares a place for us in heaven where we are safe and with him forever. And if he has loved us this much, how then could we not follow after him in all things? Now, I told you at the beginning that I wanted you to try to put some of the things that we learn into three categories. Um, Figuring out who Jesus is or letting this tell us more about who Jesus is, who we are, who we should be, and who's full of it. First, Jesus shows us here who he is. He is the good shepherd who has been called of God, who owns his sheep. He knows us by name and leads us in love. He walks before us so that we may be provided for and protected, not only when we are first saved, but for the remainder of all eternity. He is worthy of our full trust, for he is a good shepherd. The text also shows us who we are and who we should be. We are all sheep. And for all those whom God has chosen and given to the Son, as Jesus talked about in chapter 6, which is another way of saying all those who believe in Jesus by faith, we are his sheep. Not yours. Not yourself. We are his sheep. It should keep us humble how often we're compared to sheep in Scripture. Sheep are stupid. I was reading this account this week 
about, about sheep that were common, commonly known to be so stupid that they would walk directly into a fire and die. Completely oblivious of what was about to happen to them. They're good at getting lost, just as we are. They can be foolish and stubborn, just as we can be. We need to remember that we are his sheep. Don't put yourself in a pedestal. Remain humble. But rejoice in the fact, not in your own pride, not in yourself, but in the fact that you are his. This should be a big deal for us. We are sheep that he loves, sheep that God protects, provides for, and delivers. We must be sheep then who grow in our ability to know and listen to his voice through our commitment to the word of God. And we must be diligent in the fear of and rejection of false teachers and teaching. We must run from it and follow only Jesus, not our culture, not our political parties, not our traditions, but Jesus and Jesus alone. And this text also shows us who's full of it. Anyone who tries to instruct us in a way of salvation apart from Jesus. Anyone who tries to lead us away from the clear teaching of Jesus. And anyone who cares more for themselves than they do for the sheep. They can't be trusted. So I know sometimes uh, uh, someone may knock on your door and, and make you think that they're really smart. But if Jesus is denigrated, if Jesus is not the means of salvation, if he is not the gate and the only gate, if he is not God's one and only son, if he is not our salvation alone, if we are not his sheep alone, then they don't know what they're talking about. So don't be intimidated by them. Go back to the word of God. Listen to his voice. And no matter what anybody says about you, let the voice of God, the voice of our shepherd, dictate to you your value, your beauty, and all that you can be. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Father God, I thank you for the beginning of this, this lesson. I thank you for, for the reminder that Jesus is a good shepherd. And I pray that you would help us to hold tight to it, to remember who you are and how great and, and how much of a blessing it is to be able to, to know you and have you by grace through faith alone. And I pray you would help us to remember in light of this how we then should live. How salvation is found only through you. And that if we have been saved and loved by you with such an abundant love and grace, then we should give you all that we are, not bits and pieces. And God, help us not to be afraid of anyone who has a loud voice or clever-sounding arguments. Help us to follow your voice and your voice alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.